And today I will be preaching for you, reading for you, and then preaching for you out of John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. Hear now the word of God. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, you have said, you have made very clear in your proclamations that there is power in your word. Now as we read and hear and hear preached the proclamation of your word, May there be power that transforms by the Holy Spirit into a renewed and furthering and sustaining life in your name for this people and for all that hear your word preached this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As I've mentioned, we are starting a new sermon series next week, and so this is the last in this chapter of uh, John chapter 1. As we wrap up, uh, I guess, the holiday season, if you consider that we have been going through Advent ever since December began, and then now as we wrap up, and and I mentioned that uh, today, uh, for many churches throughout the world, it's considered to be Epiphany Sunday, and um, I like to remind people that the word Epiphany means Revelation, um, a um, giving of a understanding or seeing something. Um, you know, a lot of times people will use the word. I just had an epiphany. I just had this thought or this amazing idea or revelation. And in light of what is going on in the scriptures, it is a revelation to people, to the world of Jesus Christ. And when we have gone through the Christmas story of Christ's incarnation, that the world was made known, that particularly his people was made known, and then the Gentiles had also been given this same information that the Lord's Christ, that the Savior of the world, had come. And so here we see a particular chapter where this is being proclaimed that the ministry of John's primary purpose is to make the revelation of this truth known to his people. There are a variety of different stories that we can reflect upon during this season of Epiphany. One of the most common ones are going to be the wise men from the east who have come to see Jesus, and they came and they wanted to worship the Christ. Also, some will go to Luke chapter 2, the story of Simeon and Anna, where Simeon has been waiting and waiting and waiting for the consolation of Israel, the Lord's Christ. And he proclaims in his song, which we will conclude our service with the benediction of that song, which is Simeon's prayer. And he says that this is a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. And centered in all of this is the understanding and the revelation that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the King. And there is power in that revelation. And there is things that God does in the furthering of his kingdom just in the proclamation of that. 
and the knowledge of that. And there is a grace in that. And here we have John, who has been working hard to take the focus off of him. If you remember last Sunday, is that he is not the Christ. He is making it very clear that he is telling people, I am not the Christ. And so the question of who are you, he kept deflecting back to, pointing to the reality of Jesus Christ. And so here in this particular paragraph, he is proclaiming very clearly that Jesus is the Christ by highlighting that he is the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world. This is an amazing proclamation. As he saw Jesus coming to him, it was a revelation to him that he is making clear that he did not actually know fully himself. It actually seems a little confusing that he would say that he did not know him when we know that he was related to him. But in light of being assured of Jesus being the Christ, he is making it clear to him that it was revealed to him specifically by God. And then he points out that his purposes in baptizing for the very purpose of making that proclamation so that people would know that Jesus is the Son of God. So those are the four particular points of today's sermon are the four things that John the Baptist is proclaiming about Jesus. As we think about this revelation of Jesus being the Christ, John is highlighting in this particular four places that he is the Lamb of God. He, in verse 29, he is the one who ranks before me, pointing out to the authority and the existence of God even before the existence of John. And that the contrast from what he is doing in baptizing with water for the repentance of sin, that this Christ comes baptizing his people with the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, highlighting once again the proclamation in which the church is built on that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so we're going to look at those four things that John is highlighting about Jesus being the Christ. And then I want us to be thinking about, in light of those four things, four responses that we are to give to that. As we see these things, and hopefully, even though you are here, many of you and most of you here are as Christians, and you've already had the truth of Jesus being the Christ revealed to you, as we are constantly reminded each Lord's Day and hopefully each day of our life that Jesus is the Christ, we should have four responses to those particular proclamations. One, in our, for many of us, the initial one is to just simply repent and be baptized, to follow through in this ministry in which John is calling people to. That if we are being proclaimed, if we are having the truth of Christ being proclaimed to us, our initial response to that proclamation is to repent and be baptized. And then secondly, as we are remembering his rank and his authority, when we are remembering his purposes and his power, we are to rest in him alone and work for him alone. Thirdly, as we see that Jesus Christ is the one who comes baptizing with power by the Holy Spirit, we should anticipate a rest and a renewal, a true and real rest and renewal in him. And then lastly, as we keep hearing Jesus' name being proclaimed as the Son of God, and this revelation is true, we should take pleasure in that reality. There is a pleasure. There is a response of fear with repentance, but there is a pleasure in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that continues for us as we are constantly being reminded of who Jesus is. It should be a revelation that brings forth a pleasure and a hope and an encouragement for us, especially as we go into this next new year. 
So let's rewind and go back to verse 29. We see that John the Baptist proclaims that behold, behold, look, dwell, focus, meditate, see, think about, open your eyes, wake up and see that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is definitely the best news that you could ever hear. Think about all the bad news. There is a lot of bad news out there. And it just multiplies. It seems like it multiplies faster than you can even hear about it. Everything that we often petition before the Lord, we may ask, we think about sickness, there's bad news. Sometimes we have to pray for people because their family has lost someone or is about to lose someone to death. We can hear bad news about conflict, about things not working out, some business fails, or we can think about all kinds of violence in the world and war. All of this revolves around the effects of sin. And to hear proclaimed that the one who is going to take away the sin of the world, who is going to bring an end and a defeat of sin and its power over this earth and over the people on this earth, that he has come, that is the best news that anyone could ever hear. So surely we are to behold When we look at Christ and when we hear his name proclaimed, there is every good reason for us to know that that is good news. We just heard in Hebrews that we preach to in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, that especially for the Jews, that it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. That all of the ritual and worship that they were involved in, that it wasn't the blood of bulls and goats that could do this. And they were given reminders of this. They knew even then that this was only to be a representation of something to come. But they, they were hopeful that something would take away sin. But it was impossible for anything like bulls and goats. And it is impossible for any of us to get rid of sin. It is a stain that is unwashable by our own blood or any blood of anything created. But as we see there in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, that even though it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he did the will of his Father by doing the impossible. That behold, this Lamb of God who has come, is going to do the very thing that is impossible. When Jesus responded to the disciples' question about the rich young ruler not being able to fulfill the law in fullness and not be able to even save himself, Jesus said that with man it is impossible, but with God everything is possible. When we consider this particularly about the cleansing of our sin. We need to think about what the Lamb of God is. The Lamb of God is highlighting that Jesus is going to be the sacrifice, that he is going to be the Lamb. He is the Lamb that covers the sin. But when we think about who we are in light of that, we need to understand how precious that blood is, how precious this proclamation is that he is the Lamb of God. We see in the book of Revelation in chapter 5 that when John sees a vision of Jesus Christ on the throne, he sees a vision of Christ as the lamb that was slain. And then we see these angelic creatures and the 24 elders all singing a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God for every tribe and language and people and nation. This blood was the price that was paid to ransom us to a life of death and sin. 
We were condemned because of sin. We were condemned in sin because of Adam. We were condemned in sin because of our own sin. Because of corruption and sin, it was going to be nothing but bad news. But because of this one, and it's an amazing thing in this vision for John to see the one sitting on the throne in his authority, he was a lamb. That is what gave him the right to sit on that throne, that he was the lamb that was slain, but he paid a ransom price for you and me, a precious price. And so therefore, we are not of our own. We are a ransomed people. And it says there in Revelation chapter five, verse nine, for God, we have been ransomed for God. Just as we see there in our proclamation this morning that all things must fit his purpose for our salvation. It is his purposes that we are saved. When we think about our salvation, it's not just a get out of jail card so that we can go on enjoying our life for our own purposes. We are a ransomed people. So what is our reaction to this proclamation that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world? Well, we should repent. That's what John was doing. He was proclaiming the baptism for the repentance in the belief in Jesus Christ. In preparing the way for Jesus Christ, he was calling people to remember that you have sin, that you have sin, that you are sold out to death apart from Jesus Christ. And so we should recognize that and we should turn away. And that's what the baptism was indicating, that they were now set apart to a different life. Not a life of sin and death, but this baptism was an understanding of a representation of cleansing. John recognizes that this water cannot cleanse people from their sins, but it was pointing to this other thing that is to come. And therefore, as we believe in this proclamation, this gospel hope, we are called now, even now. You may say, well, you know, back when I was a young kid at a particular church revival or in this particular service, I did come in repentance and I repented and believed. But it's a calling for all of us. Whether you were born in a Christian home and have always known who Jesus Christ is or whether you're an old person that is just now understanding who Jesus is, the same calling is true, that we live a life of recognizing our sinfulness. And that's one thing that there's plenty of. Just as we can say that there's plenty of bad news, there are plenty of reminders, at least for me, in my own life, there are plenty of reminders that there is still the stench of sin in this world, in my own heart even. As I consider how I respond to daily activities and even my own thoughts, there are sins that God is still cleansing me of. And so therefore, our response to understanding Jesus Christ, we should continue to keep going to him for our hope of that cleansing. If you would, please turn to your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. I want to read a few verses there that is a very direct proclamation of how to respond to the truth of Jesus Christ being the Lamb of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 19. It says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So as we hear this proclamation of Jesus Christ being the Lamb of God, there is a grace in that proclamation. See, it's not just the grace in of itself that what Christ did on the cross, but as it's being told to you, as you are being reminded who Jesus Christ is, there is a grace that is given to you. And we are called to set our minds to that, to be sober-minded, and that our hope should be fully on that grace that we are being reminded of in that revelation of Jesus Christ. As opposed to that, it continues to say, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, 
you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. See, what we have here is a reminder here that as we are thinking about who Jesus Christ is, there should be this automatic transformation that brings forth a life of repentance. This is why it's not just a one-time repentance at your introduction of Jesus Christ. It's a continual staying and going in a certain direction away from sin. That we are called not to go back and to entertain or to even be conformed to the passions of our ignorance. But because we now know who Jesus Christ is, now we know the good news, we are to continue to go in that direction that our repentance points us to, which is to be holy like he is holy. Therefore, that's why it should transform our conduct. If we were going in this direction, being conformed to ignorance and our worldly passions, just a nod toward, oh yeah, Jesus is the Christ. Oh yeah, I know that. And to continue to go that way is not consistent with what we see here. That at the revelation of Jesus Christ, there is a repentance that changes our conduct. And there should be a furthering of our life toward holiness. And it says, as, and if you call him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. And remember in the context of so many things that people of God are in exile. I think even for us, as we consider that Our home is ultimately with him in heaven. We are like exiles here in this world that is still not yet fully cleansed of its sin. But look at this next part. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold. There was no money or gold or silver or gems or metals that was given for your ransomed price but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, the precious lamb of God. As we remember this revelation of Jesus Christ being the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, it should transform us. That it is the revelation of God by the power of the Holy Spirit that there should be a transformation of our lives and to a faithful obedience to him. Verse 30, John highlights that this is the one who I was speaking of that, was, that ranks before me, that was before me, that again, showing that eternality of Jesus Christ, that John is wanting to make sure it's very clear that he is pointing to not only the good news of Jesus coming, but that he is one with authority that has existed way beyond him, that this younger man here before him was before him, before all of us. And so this proclamation and revelation of Jesus' eternality and his authority, we need to know that there is a grace in having that understanding. This is something that Paul, excuse me, that John wants us to have very clear in our mind because twice he tells the people, I did not know him, meaning that he did not have a full understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And you might think, well, did not Mary talk to Elizabeth and Elizabeth tell John that this is the one? Well, even that proclamation from one person to the next, even though you may have a preacher proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ to you, that that true revelation, that true understanding of who he is can only come ultimately, from God. No matter who is proclaiming it to you, for it to get into our thick heads and our hard hearts, that revelation has to come to you from God. How do I know this? Well, we've already read this in John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, or even the proclamation of myself to my own children, and not even only to the will of my desire to get the word out to you, but of the will of God. 
It is by the will of God that this revelation is being made known. And so as John is proclaiming this, that behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he's saying that, you know, you got to think, John's whole life has been appointed and given to the ministry of preparing the way. And he actually knew, the very, it was related to the ones who had been given the truth about who Jesus Christ is. And he says that I still did not really know this, until God revealed it to me, because the one who sent me told me that the one in whom the Spirit descends and remains, he is the one. God had to tell him. God had to show him. And so when we think about this knowledge, it's not because you've read the Bible maybe back and forth and everywhere and multiple times every year. It's not even because of being in the church and hearing it proclaimed. Those are all tools and avenues in which God uses to make it known. But it is the, by the power and by the will of God. And so therefore, you need to understand that if you do recognize that Jesus is the Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and you have come to repentance of your sins and a trust in him for that, that is a gift of God. That is a blessing from God. And we see here in verse 31 that John is saying that the purpose of my baptizing people for the repentance of sin was ordained for the purpose of revelation, the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. He understands that he has been given to a purpose that's pointing people to Jesus. And in verse 33, it says the one who sent him revealed it to him on how to recognize who the Lamb is. He's always pointing people back to God. He's saying, it's not me. It's definitely not me. It's not by my power. I didn't even know this myself in the fullness of this, that this is all God. And so what is our reaction to this? What is our reaction of knowing that all of this is grace, that all of this is in God? Well, brothers and sisters, rest in him alone. Rest in him alone. It is all by him. And live for him alone. Because he is the one who is doing this, that he works all things for his purpose for your salvation. Then rest in him alone. He is doing the work. Father, mother, as you teach your children or your grandchildren or brother and sister, as you are out into the world to try to proclaim the gospel to other people in your community, those who stand in front of the abortion mill or those who help serve people who are hungry. We are to proclaim the gospel to people, but we are to rest in the Lord that he will bring about the victory for his battle. But we are to live for him alone. That means all of our occupation, since we've been ransomed for him and all of his purposes are for our salvation Everything in our life should be defined by that. Everything. Do not compartmentalize your life like this is my time and this is God's time. These are my pleasures and these are things that I want to do to please the Lord. No, it all belongs to him. Kids, that means you're pl when you play. How does your play please the Lord? Now, I know he wants us to play. I, I believe that play is a good thing. I don't think play is a bad thing. And so if it is something that has been ordained for God, children, listen to me. Your games, your playing, your amusements, if it says that he works all things for his purposes, for the salvation of his people, that means even your play falls under that authority. That means not only on how we should go about and how we act in playing, like we shouldn't be cheating <laughs> or just be focusing on ourselves, but that it has a purpose in shaping our minds and our hearts. Our interactivity when we play with other people have a witness to that very same reality of the revelation of Jesus Christ. You have to think about that. You know, I have to think about that just in light of just being a pastor. I was introduced to someone recently as a pastor. And like, oh, I didn't realize you were a pastor. And, and I automatically just started talking about our church and where it's at and, and um, you know, what it's like. And I realized after I got done and after the person left, I never said 
anything about the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I could have been an Amon. I could have been um, anything. <laughs> could have been a social club director. Would have made any difference. And I started thinking, I need to learn how to answer that question better without freaking people out with doing a really long sermon. That would be, one, <laughs> you know, like that would be my temptation that I would start going through just quoting some long paragraph. But think about that. Do we even think about our roles in light of that? Rest in him alone, work for him alone, live for him alone. It is by his will and purpose and work that you even believe and are saved. So therefore, it is by his will and purpose that you are now sent to serve and work and remember, he ranks before us. He's in charge. He is an authority. He's not just your best friend and buddy who got you out of trouble. He's sold. I mean, he purchased you because you were sold to sin. And now he owns you. Verse 33. John highlights that what his particular baptism only is pointing ultimately to the baptism of the one that is to come in Jesus Christ. That this one who comes baptizes with the Holy Spirit. What we see here is not that there's two different kinds of baptism. There was kind of this temporary transitional baptism because there was at that time they did not know the revelation of Jesus Christ in fullness. And so the baptism was they did know that they had sin and they knew that they were not pleasing God with their sin. And they knew that they had to respond to that in repentance and that they had to hope in one to come. And so there was this kind of separation of baptisms for a moment because John was preaching and doing a baptism before the full revelation of Jesus Christ. But with the revelation of Jesus Christ for the early church, these got ultimately merged. In Acts chapter 11, we see this when Peter is speaking of those in Caesarea who came from Caesarea, when he is seeing that the Holy Spirit is being poured out upon the people, he says, I remember the word of the Lord and how he said that John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand, who, is I, who was I that I could stand in, the, in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also granted repentance that leads to life. So it's not like there's a separation that there is this baptism in Jesus that's apart from repentance. And there is this baptism of repentance that's ultimately apart from Christ. It's all being merged into one. It's, it's being fulfilled in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so they're seeing those promises being fulfilled that as they believe in that proclamation and that revelation of Jesus Christ, now they see and are being recipients of the promises of the Holy Spirit. And again, in Acts 19 with Paul to those who are in Ephesus, when he asks, and this is well, I think what we read this morning, it says, and do, what were you baptized? And they sent into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Our baptisms are not separated in that way because we, all of the baptisms that we proclaim are through the fact that we have been revealed, it has been revealed to us that Jesus is Lord. And therefore, all of our baptisms of repentance and faith are centered in Jesus Christ. So what is our reaction to this? We should anticipate a real renewal because of our baptism in Christ. We need to remember what baptism ultimately is. If these things have been merged in Christ, it is good for us to remember what our baptism is. Romans 6, verses 3 through 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Again, keeping that in mind in light of our repentance, our turning away from sin, turning away from our life of sin. We have now, because of the death of Jesus Christ and the baptism of Jesus Christ, 
that our baptisms represent that we are dead to sin. We were buried, therefore, with him in, by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So that resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just for a time that is to come. That when we die, that we have a hope of eternal life. Or that when Jesus returns, that we will be resurrected with him in fullness. But that we would walk in newness of life. We should, because of our baptism, anticipate that by the promises of God, of the Holy Spirit, that there should be a newness of life in our walk. A renewal of life. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. We are baptized to be a people of promise, it says. This is for as many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave or free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So when we look at the promises of the whole Old Testament for God's people, eternal promises for God's people, and we look at all the promises that flow from that into the New Testament, into all the epistles, into the victory of a relation, we are people of promise. That means we are those people who have received the fulfillment of promise and the revelation of Jesus Christ. We now know who the Messiah and the Christ is. But also we are people of promise in the benefits of that knowledge of revelation and that walking in the newness of Christ and for the t- things that are to come in his victory. So we are baptized into his death. We are baptized into his life. We are baptized as people who are people of promise. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 13 through 14, we need to remember and respond by understanding that for in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member But many, this is why the sacrament of baptism is a work of the church. Because baptism is not just a personal thing between you and Jesus. It's also a thing with you and all of his people through the past. We are heirs of Abraham's offspring. And we are baptized into one another as his church that are full of many members and have the purposes later on in that same chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 of one of not being divided both physically and hopefully spiritually. That means that we should not neglect the gathering of his people in worship and in service. But look there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 24 through 26 but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, we all rejoice together. See, God has composed this body there in verse 24. It says, God has so composed the body for this purpose. So he has presented and made and made forth the church as the body of Christ for our care. And for our togetherness, both in suffering and in rejoicing. Then lastly, in verse 34, in this proclamation of Jesus being the Son of God, we remember the story that we've already heard, read before, but now in the account of Matthew in chapter 3, in Matthew three thirteen through 17, This is probably, I've said this before many times in the pulpit, and I I hope that as you go into this new year, I hope that this particular part here that we're closing with, I hope that does, I hope you take this with you. I hope you do remember this, Maharus. (laughs) I know that a lot of my sermons, you know, themselves, I can't even remember. You know, a lot of times I have to go back. I mean, just like as I'm preparing one week's sermon, I go, what did I say last week? (laughs) But do remember this, whether you remember it associated with this sermon or not. 
Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Remember what's going on here. Let's, let's break this down. So John is saying that I did not know this. I did not know that Jesus, I, I mean, he may have heard about it. He may have even, he may have even assumed it to some degree, but he didn't truly know, he says. He said it twice. I do not know him. I did not know him but that God revealed to him by telling him that when the Holy Spirit descends upon the one and remains on him, that this is the one. This is what he said. And this is how it all went down there in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. It says, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? We know that John for certain was a very humble man which was good because he was the one calling everybody to repent of their sins. Isn't that a hard thing to even consider that if, you know, when somebody's telling you to stop doing something you're doing wrong, if they're arrogant <laughs> and they're all sinful and, and prideful, you just don't want to hear it. We can tell that John, he was a humble man. He did not want to have glory for himself. And so therefore we had to remember that how we go about calling other people to repentance they were constantly pointing back to the authority of Jesus Christ. And we should, by default, by that revelation of knowing who Jesus Christ is, should be a very humble people. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven, that voice, that powerful voice of God that we see there in the Psalms that break the cedars, that it doesn't just break the cedars. It breaks our hard hearts and our hard minds. The voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now there's two things there. One, we see this proclamation that he is the son of God. By the very witness and proclamation of God himself, in the representation of the Holy Spirit being the second witness coming upon Jesus Christ. But the thing that I want to encourage you about is not just that, that revelation alone, but when we have the revelation of Jesus Christ, that I know that it is supposed to bring pleasure because in that proclamation of Jesus being the Son of God, it brought pleasure to the Father. And that's very important for us because whose name is now upon us? It is the name of Jesus Christ. And so that pleasure that was bestowed upon Jesus Christ for who he is and fulfilling the obedience to the Father and being the Lamb of God, that pleasure is bestowed to us. And so by the revelation of Jesus Christ and knowing that he is our hope, that he is our lamb, he is our sacrifice for our sins, that exchanged for death and eternal judgment, we now have the pleasure of the Father. That re the reaction to that needs to be very solid in our mind. So much that God told us this again in the Gospels, revealed this revelation of Jesus Christ again to another story that is often recounted during the Epiphany Sunday, and it is the story of transfiguration. Because God said it again before his disciples. So I want to end by reading that particular account a few chapters later in Matthew 17. And I want you to see how the disciples respond. We know how John responded when he heard the proclamation. He continued his ministry by pointing directly to Jesus Christ and proclaiming directly about who Jesus is as the Lamb of God. But here now we have the disciples who have had Jesus Christ revealed to them, but God is revealing to them very poignantly 
that he is the son of God here in this account in Matthew 17. Watch the response of the disciples. Verse three of 17, it says, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them, him. Now remember, they were brought up to the mountain and this was Jesus's inner circle of disciples, Peter and John and James. And Peter said to Jesus, as they see there, this manifestation of Jesus's glory. And then there's Elijah. So this is the, the real Elijah and the real Moses is there. With them. And Peter, I mean, obviously he's like, whoa. (laughs) And he said, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, I want to stop there for a second. So imagine if you were, you were seeing Jesus in his glory, and there was Elijah who was supposed to be gone, and Moses who's supposed to be gone and dead, and, and there they are with Jesus, and they're talking to each other, and you're like, whoa, this is great. This is really helpful for my faith. <laughs> this is very helpful for my trusting in God. And as Peter is saying, okay, I know how to respond to this. Let's get all of this together and let's create some tents, and we'll have we'll just hang out here on on the mountain, God overshadows that. He overshadows that request and he wants to reveal very clearly and poignantly that we hear this. He says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to his voice. Listen to his word. Again, he is proclaiming that Jesus is his son and that he is well pleased with his son and we are to respond to by listening to him. And when the disciples heard this proclamation, heard this revelation, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Now, I don't think there was anything wrong with that. Don't you think that was an appropriate response? When you see Jesus in his power and in his glory, and when you hear revealed to you who he is, do you think it's an appropriate place for us to fall on our face and be terrified? That's what John was preaching. He was saying, Jesus is coming. Repent. Be baptized. Be in fear. Respond in fear. Because the one that was who ranks before me and was before me is coming and is now here. But then look at how Jesus' response. Look at how Jesus responds when we respond with fear, when we respond with trembling, when we respond with repentance and acknowledgement of our lower rank, when we are, are humble to the understanding of our own sin. Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Jesus tells us that in the revelation of who he is, and he shouldn't even have to tell us when we hear who he is, we should be terrified and repent. But in that repentance and in that he comes up and he gives us assurance. And he says, rise, fear not. And it says, and they were coming down the mountain. Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the son of man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked them, then why do the scribes say that the first Elijah must come? So they're, they're thinking, okay, so we just saw Elijah. So this must be, then this must be the fulfillment of that. Look how Jesus responds. He answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands. 
Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So here we have the real Elijah that was with Jesus for a moment. And he was saying that Elijah that the prophecies were talking about when I came, he already came. He was the one who was proclaiming repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But now that we are in this end cycle, on the, we are now done with Christmas, and everyone has taken down their decorations, the bright lights, and the, and the, the glory of Christmas, which again, I, I pray, has been for your edification and for the glorification of his name. May it be that as things calm down and things get back to work and we come down off of this mountain, that the only thing that you can see now, after all of the hubbub, is Jesus. That still remains. Now, they got a moment to see Jesus in his glory. Now, think about this in light of Christmas. We, the whole world was crying out in some way, whether they believed or not, the Savior has come. And that now, all we are is left with this Jesus who doesn't have the glow of that glory, and he actually says that I must suffer. And the one who came before me also suffered. If you know this account in Matthew, as they come down off the mountain, the first thing that they're hit with is a, a child possessed by a demon that no one could do anything about. They seemed helpless and hopeless immediately. The other disciples were saying, I don't know what we can do. Everything we've tried has not worked. And Jesus simply said, this one only comes through prayer. In some accounts, prayer and fasting. This is where we are, people. Here in this new year, after the celebration of the revelation of Jesus Christ, hopefully you've heard it. And hopefully the power of God has made it known to your hearts that the only thing that we need to be focused on is Jesus. And to remember what we are to do, to respond. And if we have not responded with humility as the disciples did there, then that's the first step is to repent and to continue to maintain that humility like John as we proclaim the gospel. But also to fear not, to trust him, even when we are faced with the most trying difficulties or suffering, we can rest in him. We can still keep our eyes on him. I'm sure Jesus wasn't a whole lot to look at after seeing the transfiguration, and he wasn't a whole lot to look, like, look at when he saw him on the cross. But as we look upon each other, the body of Jesus Christ and the calling that we have, we are to pray together as we fight the spiritual forces of darkness and demons in this world. And we are to remember that proclamation. It is that proclamation of who he is that should strengthen us and remind us, rise and have no fear. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the revelation.